All right, Alexander, let's talk about the peace summit, the Saudi-U.S.-Ukraine peace summit that was held in Jeddah that wrapped up yeah. over the weekend in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. And it's, it's kind of a mixed bag of reporting, to be quite honest. Some Western mainstream media outlets are saying this was a huge success. Others are saying this was, uh, this was okay. It was, it was a moderate success for, for Ukraine. Other outlets are saying that, that this was a, a big nothing burger, that nothing really came out of it. I, I think this was a, a complete failure. And actually, we have statements now from uh, Zelensky and Podoliak, his, uh, his top advisor, saying that pretty much saying that whatever concessions Ukraine appeared to have made during this conference, forget about it. The only formula is, uh, is Zelensky's uh, peace. They call it the Zelensky formula is what they call it. That's the only uh, way forward for Ukraine. And I think this is a failure because there's one signal, there's one sign which points to this being a complete absolute failure. And that is the fact that there was no uh, consensus on, uh, on a statement from the parties. I mean, they, they couldn't come up with one um, unanimous statement to to conclude this this summit. So, w- what was your uh, thoughts? No, I think I, I am in t- I am in complete agree with you. I think it was a failure. If I would go further, I would say it was a debacle. Actually, now, first of all, a number of things. Um, um, in the run up to this summit, it looked as if China and Brazil were going to stay away. China and Brazil in the event attended. And I think the Western powers would have been much more relieved and happy in some respects if China and Brazil had stayed away. Because what I suspect happened is that there were lots of phone calls between the various BRICS countries, between Brasilia and Beijing and, dare I say, Moscow. And it was agreed that they would all go. Because what actually happened at this Jeddah summit is that the West, the United States, which had called this meeting in the first place, and of course Ukraine, lost control. They lost control of the agenda. It became absolutely clear that the Global South countries, the BRICS countries, the Saudis, the Chinese, the Brazilians were not interested in the Elensky formula. I mean, they, they were just, I mean, which is what this summit was originally supposed to have been convened to discuss. They said this is an absolute non-starter. We are not interested in that. Um, Li Hui, who was the Chinese representative, remember he's supposed to be the Chinese mediator, who's supposed to be mediating or trying to mediate a solution of the conflict between China and um, and you, uh, between Russia and Ukraine, he straight. He said quite openly, we, you know, we'd, we're, there are disagreements between us about what is going on, and um, you know, there has to be a more realistic approach taken. Saudi Arabia came forward with its own peace plan, which was not a peace plan, which Zelensky uh, or Zelensky, <laughs> whatever he calls himself, uh, 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 would have been happy with at all, or indeed Jake Sullivan either. And um, the um, Brazilians said, well, look, we've come along this time, but we don't think any more of these meetings should happen without the Russians. And it seems that to the extent that other global South countries participated, that was that was their general view. And perhaps not coincidentally, there's been a rather um, sniffy piece 
that's appeared in the Wall Street Journal. Um, covers various topics, but it says one interesting thing, which is that the um, fact that Ukraine's offensive is not succeeding has made the Biden administration cool to the entire idea of talks at all, because Ukraine and the United States are not in the position of strength, which they wanted to be in order for talks to happen. Now, that, to my mind, simply confirms the point that you were making, you know, several videos ago, which is that the whole point about having this meeting in Jeddah was that there was going to be a Ukrainian breakthrough in, you know, in the battlefronts. And then you'd go to Jeddah and you'd present uh, the Alensky piece formula, as I go to call it, as the way forward and get everybody to rally round it. When it became clear in Jeddah that that wasn't going to happen, the Americans have walked off with the sulk, and they're now telling their friends in the media, well, in all the circumstances, we don't think that this is a good time for talks at all. Yeah, what do you make of Podoliak's statement and Zelensky's statement, which is, you know, essentially whatever we discussed in Jeddah, Forget about it because yeah. there, there's going to be no peace negotiations. There's going to be no, no ceasefire, none of that stuff. How, how do how do the countries that attended this peace summit uh, look at the Ukraine government after that statement? Twenty four hours after the summit wrapped yeah. up, you get the statement from Podoliak and uh, Zelensky. And why do you think the Ukraine uh, government came out with a statement like this twenty four hours after the summit wrapped up? Well, the reason wiping away everything that was discussed at the summit. The, the reason it happened is not difficult at all to work out. What happened clearly was that Ukraine and, of course, the Western powers came under very heavy pressure from the Saudis, the Brazilians, the Chinese, the Indians, all of them. They piled in and they said the Alensky formula is a, is a hopeless idea. It, it, it simply won't fly. And um, the Saudis then came along with their plan, which basically um, asks Ukraine to cede eastern Ukraine to Russia. There are other aspects to it, but that's what it amounts to. And I think that what happened was that Yermak, who is another of Zelensky's advisors, who was the representative there, I think he was very anxious to get agreement for another meeting because... It's important for the Ukrainians and for the West to show, to show that this process is rolling along. So he probably said, well, you know, we're prepared to discuss this, these Saudi ideas. And of course, when Yermak got back to Kiev, that wasn't acceptable. So that needed a statement from Podoliak to say, well, you know, whatever Yermak might have said in uh, uh, Jeddah, this isn't what we're prepared to do at all. We stand firm on our hardline position, which remains as hardline as ever. And in fact, we're getting all kinds of extraordinary statements now from Ukraine. I mean, Zelensky is now writing on his Telegram channel about general mobilization. He's saying that Ukraine can't rely on its friends to the extent that it did. Um, he's also talking about a diplomatic initiative. You covered this very well in one of your videos, by the way, on your channel, a diplomatic initiative to try to win over the global South, which looks like being independent of the Jeddah process. So um, 
Ukraine is Ukraine is trying to reassert its hard line in light of well exactly concessions, but a sort of retreat under pressure that Yermak did, made in in Jeddah, and that's and that's the story. And of course, in this, they are being supported by their neocon friends in Washington who are now busy telling the Wall Street Journal that actually negotiations at the moment are really not a good idea because instead of being in a position of strength, we find ourselves in a position of weakness instead. So you can see that there's actually been a hardening of the positions. And what Jeddah has done is it's actually made the Ukrainians and the Americans, or at least the neocons, in the US, less willing to even consider negotiations. Unbelievable. Uh, what do you make of Zelensky's statement where he said that he's uh, going to sink the Russian uh, Navy, the Russian fleet, if they continue to, to assert their dominance of the, of the Black Sea? I mean, you're talking about hardening your, your yeah. position. You know, here you have Zelensky yeah. now talking about uh, some sort of, of naval uh, conflict with what navy obviously with drones that he's going to use to try and uh and attack the russian uh, uh, ships that are that are in the black sea but you know these are going to be drones and weapons supplied by the collective west most notably i imagine the the uk along with u.s coordination so well, what do you make of this of this well, I, from Zelensky? Well, I think on the one level, it's an absolutely melodramatic uh, st- uh, a statement that you know Zelensky likes to make, and it's also, I think, partly intended to put pressure on the Russians to um, go back into the grain deal, and the, you know there's going to be a pile up of pressure on that as well over the next couple of days. We'll we'll discuss that perhaps in a different video, but anyway, so I think it's partly that, but I think it's also something. That should be taken seriously. Um, Ukraine is now hunting for more long-range missiles. So it's got these drones, which, by the way, have been almost entirely ineffectual. I think that's the thing we need to understand about these drones. The Ukrainians have launched them against various Russian warships. They managed to do minor damage to one, even they've been even though you know these these seaborne drones even though they've been launching them at Russian ships for, for, for months now. But, I mean, you know, they, they, they did a small amount of damage to a landing ship, but not enough to sink it. And they did a small amount of damage to a tanker, but again, not enough to sink it. The drones are not the real danger. The greater danger is that Ukraine might be supplied with long-range cruise missiles um, by... Um, Britain, France, and conceivably Germany, and that they might try to launch attacks, missile strikes, on Russian warships in the Black Sea. Now, whether that will happen or not, I'm not saying, but I think that this is not just a bluff from Zelensky. It's, It's partly what he's trying to do. He's trying to force the Russians back into the... Um, into the grain deal. But he's also, I think, trying to um, win victories in the Black Sea, given that his offensive elsewhere is at a complete stop. And it's the kind of thing, I have to say this, where I think the British, the French 
and even the Germans and perhaps even the Americans, well, definitely the Americans, might try and help him. Well, I, th- I think they are helping him yes. and they definitely yeah. will help yes. him. Yes. Of course, they're going to say these are groups which are not affiliated with, with their militaries. These are mercenaries or contractors or stuff like that. But uh, there's no doubt that that the collective West is going to see this as an opportunity to, to uh, as Lloyd Austin once said, to, to give Russia a bloody nose, which, yes. which is basically yes. what, what NATO yes. Is, yes. is now uh, focused on. I think there's a general consensus now throughout the collective West that this war is, is lost and and they're now just going to fight it in order to to weaken Russia or perhaps hope for some sort of of Hail Mary incident that, that results in some sort of regime change. But I, I, I think there is now a clear understanding or there's beginning to be a clear understanding that the counteroffensive has failed. The, the conflict is unwinnable. And so now what do you do? You try to extend the conflict out. You try to damage Russia as much as possible. And you hope that... You know, if you're the collective West, you hope that something happens yes. that, that can lead to some sort of uh, outcome that is beneficial to to you. That's, Absolutely. that's I think, their, their position now. Absolutely. I mean, I should say that, you know, I'm already reading articles of the British media about how this is, you know, a, a clever idea by Ukraine to launch attacks on Russian shipping in the Black Sea, because supposedly the Black Sea is so important for Russia's overseas trade that it will damage the Russian economy if they can't send their ships through the Black Sea. All of this is wildly exaggerated, by the way, but I can see how those arguments could be made. And, you know, that will put pressure on the Russians and it might, who knows, even trigger regime change there. And of course, if they could hit... A Russian warship, like they say they hit the Moskva, you remember back in May last year, then of course, you know, it's a big feather in their cap. The only thing I would say about hitting a Russian warship is that, of course, the Moskva was a very old warship from the 1980s, very run down. We don't quite know what happened, but even if it was Ukrainian missiles that got through, it's not up to the level of sophistication of the other remaining ships in the Russian Black Sea Fleet, which has been reinforced, by the way, since then. So launching a missile offensive against the ships of the Black Sea might not be particularly easy. That might be very difficult indeed. And bear in mind that Russia also has a strong submarine force in the Black Sea as well, which is basically invulnerable to anything Ukraine can do. So what... Zelensky and the Western media are talking about can only have limited effect and in terms of disrupting Russia's overseas trade. Well, historically, there have been ways of protecting civilian shipping. You can create convoys. You can do all kinds of things. And a lot of Russia's shipping anyway doesn't go through the Black Sea anymore. Once upon a time, it did. You know, in the 19th century, Odessa was Russia's biggest port, had the third biggest city of the Russian Empire, but that's not the case any longer. Uh, I have a final question. Um, we had uh, the other day Zelensky in this big uh, um, media PR stunt. He, he accepted the delivery of French scalp uh, long-range missiles, which is pretty much storm shadow. Yeah. For what I understand, it's pretty much the yeah. same thing. But he did this this signing of the of the fighter jet. He got into the cockpit of the jet, and and it was this big media production. 
to to signal that Ukraine is now getting these these French scalp missiles. Uh, you have reports of of the UK uh, storm shadow missiles being used to hit the two bridges in uh, Crimea. What uh, what methods do you think Russia is going to employ in order to retaliate against the UK and against France? I'm not talking about the US. I'm talking about the UK and France because it seems like the UK and France, when it comes to Europe, at least on a military level, if there's two countries that are really pushing the escalation, especially to hit Russian territory, which I think is key, especially to target Russian civilian infrastructure, Crimea and Moscow, it seems to be France and UK that, uh, that are leading the charge. I just have a feeling that uh, Russia is not going to leave this unanswered. I don't know no. how or, or when or in what way they're going to, to retaliate against the UK or France, but I don't think that Russia is just going to, to accept this. No, I agree. I, 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 from, uh, the UK. I think I agree. I think the, the the Russians up to this point have been basically responding with defensive things. And you know, we we should be clear about the storm shadows. I mean, to all intents and purposes, they failed, and they were massively talked up as missiles. That you know, it was going to be another game changing weapon. I mean, we've heard so many game changing weapons, but you know, it's a sophisticated missile. It's subsonic, but very fast subsonic. It flies low. It was said to be very, very difficult to intercept. Well, the Russians are shooting them down in large numbers. And apparently, uh, you know, talked about that attack on those two bridges. Well, the Russians claimed that there were 12 missiles launched in a single volley, that they shot down nine and managed to jam and bring down a tenth, and only two got through, and the damage to the bridges is pretty superficial. We've seen pictures of that, so we can confirm it. So, you know, they've not been particularly effective. But having said that, the British and the French are nonetheless escalating. I mean, the French are now sending scout missiles, and the British are clearly very involved in the Black Sea activities. I think what the Russians will do, I think that, I think you're right, I think that their patience with the British and the French is increasingly exhausted. I think what they will do initially is that they will start to hunt down British and French uh, military people in Ukraine. I think that's the first escalatory step they will do. They know where these people are, and they will now start to search search them out and hunt them down. This sort of decision-making centres. We've seen attacks on some of these decision-making centres already. There was a big attack, um, missile attack, a Russian missile attack on a hotel and, um, and restaurant. I think it was either in Pakrovsk or Kramatorsk. I'm not... I mean, one loses track of things. But... We hear that this is a hotel which foreign correspondents stay in, which suggests to me that it isn't just foreign correspondents. Remember, foreign correspondents, you can use that expression to cover all kinds of things. I mean, it's fairly well known that you can. And I think that the Russians will start hunting down, as I said, the British and the French in Ukraine, in Ukraine itself, conceivably if this thing escalates even further, then you could see even more 
aggressive Russian escalations in other places, shooting down British aircraft and drones over the Black Sea. They do operate. The British do operate aircraft over the Black Sea. Um, I think this is quite possible. Okay. Uh, we will leave it there, thedoran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram, as well as Rockfin. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code good day. Take care.